If you have a Bible, I want you to open to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is not a new section of Scripture, certainly not going to be a new verse that we're going to start with, but it is a verse that concerns the latter days, the last days. I believe we're there. As I look at the condition of Christianity, I can see so many new trends, so many new ways and changes of doing things. The things that we once held dear or important have kind of shifted. Like, for example, I just heard a couple got married, but didn't get married. It was just a ceremony of commitment, a commitment ceremony without using the word marriage. A minister, some kind of a minister, I don't know where he was or what he came from, but somebody believed that was all right, that you really don't have to marry just as long as you're committed to loving each other. Things are changing. The educational processes, everything is changing. And it's not a good change. One of the worst things that's happened, I think, in the electronic age with the computer is the access that your children have to all the filth that the older people look at. They can look at the same stuff, watch the same things, learn the same words, discuss it at school with each other about it, and so many are that way, so many do those things, it must be all right. I mean, mom and dad really wouldn't know too much about what's right or wrong. They feel guilty themselves. Well, we did that. And so they have a hard time being hypocritical, they think, by teaching their children that you shouldn't do that. You know the verse in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people perish? Well, maybe a little better translation is where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. It's no hose barred anymore. Nothing is sacred. Do whatever is right in your own eyes. After all, be your own person. Who has the right to tell you what's right or wrong? And the Bible's outmoded and outdated. It would, you know, just enjoy life. If you're acclimating yourself to that kind of a situation out there, or if you avail yourself to that kind of stuff and you're getting used to it, you're getting hard to preach to. I'm not saying you are, but churches are. Church folks are hard to teach and preach to anymore because now they have opposition to things that were once sacred, once so dear and so necessary, now sort of an option. It's not, well, you know, we're just human. And you give yourself license to go astray, error, delusion, and people don't even know it. Now, our verse talks about this, and you're familiar with this, verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, about this tragic event that's happening and is going to happen. He said, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And he gives you... Two things, two reasons is why they will depart. One is seducing spirits. It's hard for church folks, especially those who are traditional, been in church your whole life, sung all the right hymns, had the right name. You were a Methodist, a Baptist, or a Presbyterian, or a Christian. You know, you, you had all the right stuff. And you assume, there's this kind of this assumption thing. We assume we're okay because we have that. I got baptized when I was a child. I've been in church. Now I'm a deacon and, and teach Sunday school class. Therefore, I'm okay. And if you do any of this other stuff, it doesn't really matter. I'm still okay. 
And I don't think when people depart from the faith, they're actually aware of it. I don't think most of them are because they're still religious. Because he talks about doctrines of demons. You don't hear that in a pool hall or in a beer joint. You hear that in church. Doctrines, teachings, explanations of Scripture by demonic influences. The devil can quote the Bible. You know that. And the Bible says in the latter days, this is going to be prevalent, so much so that people will begin to turn away from the faith, the faith message. The title today is The Problem with the Faith Message. Because once you begin turning away from it and then you hear it again, you have a problem with it. You start to question it. You heard it for 20 years. Why didn't you question it 20 years ago? Well, you know, I'm just seeing it better now. Maybe not. See, when I think of the faith message, I think of a course of life dictated by faith in God. That's the message of faith. It's a course of life, a way we live, decisions we make, directions we go that are dictated by what we believe that God has said. That's the faith message. And if you're bent on going away different than God goes, and some preacher tells you that that's wrong, all you can do is get upset and maybe not come back. That's the sign of the last days. Many will depart from, they will withdraw, they will retreat from a course of life that is dictated by faith. And he says here that these doctrines will be inspired by demons, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And how angry would good, moral, traditional people in my generation, how offended would they be if you could point out, I mean, they wouldn't see it, but if you could point out what some of these demonic doctrines are, some of the license that you've been given to live in a way that God's going to judge, and they would be offended by it. I think more and more, we, if you're with me, I mean, I think more and more, we're beginning to be a smaller and smaller group, more and more set up for persecution, for fingers to be pointed, for gossip and whispering to be taking place about how far behind you are and you're not with it anymore and you people are behind the time, you're slowing down progress. All because 20, 30, in my case, 45 years ago, I made a decision, the best I knew how, as much as I could, to trust the Lord. And you walk out trials and you upset half the church, your family gets upset. You say you're well when it doesn't look like you're well. Just as I say I'm saved, and I don't always look like I'm saved. But times are changing. And these demonic influencers are giving more and more opportunities and more and more access to religious places. They're beginning to speak more and more, and we're beginning to take for granted. And, you know, and that word, well, after all, you know, the music so today is ugly. Ugly and bad. I was out eating dinner the other day with some friends <laughs> this week, and the music came on. It wasn't dinner music, and I said to somebody, I think I said to Bonnie, I said, is that Christian music? And I couldn't hear anything they're saying because they just yelled and growled, and I'm like, and they keep repeating, oh, no, oh, no. same word, same phrase, over and over. And I said, is that Christian music? I wish you'd turn it off. 
You're making me nervous, you know. <laughs> but somebody says, well, you're just old school. I am. I obviously can't help it. <laughs> Been around nearly 75 years. I can't help that. I didn't ask to be born. But here I are. I'm just saying, from what I'm looking at, starting to pay a little more keen attention to now, more than I have maybe in years gone by, it's disturbing some of the things that I'm seeing and the shift in the way people believe. Or the indifference that more and more people seem to have to the ways of God. But the Bible speaks of men in 2 Timothy 3. It talks about men of corrupt minds. These men of corrupt minds, they're reprobate, it says, concerning the faith. Now listen to me. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, if by the faith we're talking about a course of life dictated by trusting God or having faith in God, and they are corrupt concerning it, then they don't hold to that. Now, they may be lively and fun people to listen to, and they may be very intelligent and sophisticated, very eloquent. But if they're reprobate concerning the faith, what they're saying is going to lead people away. Eventually, you'll come to the place when you really have departed from the faith, you really don't know what you believe anymore. You're really not sure what you believe. Yeah, I know the Bible says that. Yeah, I've heard that. I heard, you know, last week we talked about healing and, and, and ended up talking about faith. Yeah, I, I, yes, but, man, it, you know, you look around and, and, and so little seems to be happening according to what you hear. I don't even know if it works anymore. Because it comes like this. Either people you're talking to and discussing things with, they're seeing the same thing or feeling the same way or something you heard or something you read. It's just little question marks. The devil puts a question mark right there in your mind about things you once were settled on. And now you're not sure. It's a terrible thing, I would think, to go to church and go home with a question mark. Because there's demonic activity there. Anything that opposes God, I said once a few weeks ago, anything that opposes God or is in opposition to God is evil. And sometimes the nicest people you'll ever met are evil because they don't want any part about God in some areas of their life. You talk about debt and borrowing, oh, they're upset. They like everything else you say. There's a part of your life that the devil got a grip on. And boy, you don't want to let go of it. But it happens. Paul wrote, he said, you know, the God of this world. Remember this in 2 Corinthians 4? He said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. You remember that? Think of it. In light of reprobates concerning the faith, the devil has blinded the mind. I think one translation or a Greek definition I read once said, has blunted the mental discernment. I'm not getting it. Well, I hear what you're saying, but I, it, uh, it, I, it doesn't focus. And any time in your life you have to wrestle with things to get to the bottom of it, in this age you just kick it out as something you don't need. 
and it came, there was an opportunity for you to get a hold of something and get a revelation, but you kick it out because you're busy you're with too many other things to think about spiritual things. But that happens. The devil, the devil has blinded the minds of them who believe not. Lest, he goes on to say, lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And that's a tragedy. I think that's why we need to keep pressing in and pushing hard. And how do you say it? Shoving this down your throat? Because you're going to get it or you're going to walk away from it. And if you're going to come here and you're going to sit here, I want you to get it. I think that's important. It is to me. Like I said Sunday about healing last week, I want everybody healed. As I explained Wednesday night, you know, I'm not upset with people who fail or have wound up getting this or that or going to doctors. I'm not mad or upset. I'm upset with, with myself. You see, I do believe that there's a message here. There's an anointing that God will give. You just got to press in. And he'll get it, and then that message will enlighten people. They'll get their eyes open. Then they'll learn how to fight. You know, nobody can believe for somebody else. Nobody can learn for somebody else. If you're sitting here and you don't want to learn, you won't. If you're sitting here and you're eager and you're hungry, then you'll be fed. But you need that. You need to be fed. Amen. All of us do. So you see... This departure in the last day, Paul spoke of in 2 Thessalonians as a falling away. He said, that day will not come, the day of the Lord. He said, that day is not coming until there comes a falling away first. I think we've seen through the years, I always used to think this way, that the falling away is when people quit coming to church. But when I think now, you hook up 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 with 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. In the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. When you depart, it's just a matter of time until you apostatize. That's what falling away means, until you turn away from God. You're left to yourself. And the preacher will let you know that in this church, we don't have any restraints and restrictions. We just want everybody to be happy and have a good time. And if you want to believe this or that, if you want to live with your girlfriend and smoke pot, that's all right with us. And I don't want to be ugly by saying this, but you're a fool for being in that place. Because your very soul is in somebody's balance. Somebody is talking to you out of the faith. But the Bible says that's going to happen in the last days. And these seducing spirits and these doctrines of demons and this talk of the God's new thing. I heard that several years ago and, it, and I thought that's not right. Because there's nothing new under the sun. And this God's new thing, and this now we got this coming, now we got that coming. Oh, boy, happy days are here again. And, you know, two cars in every garage, a chicken in every pot. Hallelujah, we're on our way. And as I look back, the disaster, the dust, that after the dust settles, every one of those things fell apart, every one of them. The preachers who sponsored it made a lot of money, wrote books and became well-to-do. And you look at the people, they just... Places where once there was a glorious presence of God are now they're gone. The people who promoted it are gone. The people we thought, the ministers that traveled around and represented that place and priests, they're all gone. Most of them have left their families or wives and are back in the world. And 
what's wrong with this? What has happened? And when you preach faith to them, ah, I've heard all that. What's your problem with the faith message? What's your problem with a life dictated by faith in God? What's wrong with being told how to walk with God, why to walk with God, and the consequences of not walking with God? We call that warning. What's wrong with that? Well, people don't like to hear that. That bothers me. Well, it's supposed to bother you. You can't repent of your sins until you get bothered about them. Guilt is when sin rises to the surface and it declares you deserve punishment. That's what guilt is. That's why people don't preach the word to me, prophesy smooth things, because if you make clear what you're saying or what God says in the word, then I get guilty about who I am and what I'm doing. Then I don't feel good and I'm troubled and in torment. Well, that's a good thing. Because then you know you're wrong, you can repent. The first time I joined church when I was a kid or got baptized in a Christian church, I think I was 11, 1951. How did I know that? Well, I, I know. I went forward that Sunday morning in the church. You know why I went forward? I wanted to get baptized in the, you slide that thing up in the back, in the front of the church, you raise the door and there's the water. I wanted to get baptized so I could start taking communion. Sin had nothing to do with why I got baptized. So when I got saved, I got baptized again. And then later on, again. And then later on again, I kept having new reasons to get baptized again. So are you legalistic? I might have been. I don't know, but I got covered all my bases. I'm sure as a little Catholic boy, I got something from there too. I might have got sprinkled on or spit on or something, but I've been in water a lot. And if somebody can come up with a new reason for doing it, I might get in there again. All I'm saying is that when you start walking with the Lord, you start realizing that there is a way that pleases God. And there's only one way that pleases God. And that's for you to live on his terms. If you have a problem with that when it's explained, you know, when you start teaching on these things, people get all upset. They do. They get upset and they get bothered by, well, I... That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 3, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You know, if people say, preach, but don't explain things to me. We don't like to be taught. We don't want to know what the Bible means. Just gloss over that and give us the big stuff. Talk about, you know, grace and mercy and the coming of the Lord. And let's just mention the word. Let's don't explain them take walking by faith say that but don't explain it because when you explain it i think the church is going to have a complaint with it and the most common complaint i think i've heard in my lifetime is that well you know i hear all these promises that you talk about by faith you preach on faith more than anything and i hope i have and you talk about, you know, the healing and the deliverance and the prosperity and the answered prayers and all those things through the years. And so little of it seems to work. How seldom has it worked? And there's a spirit, I think, that operates with that question that 
makes this assumption. If you go to a church where the word is preached, it is concluded that you have faith. And yet, that hasn't proved to be true. You might be religious. You might, with your mind, agree with what was said mentally, just as it says genuine cowhide. Yeah, that's true. Well, you don't know if that's leather or not. But it says it is, so if it is, it is. There's some kind of a spirit that makes us think we're all right because we're busy, because we're spiritually active. We go to church. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We don't hurt people. We don't rob. And, and so, therefore, we're good. And when you start teaching on faith, now that you're located yourself as being a moral, decent person, now let me explain to you how God wants you to live with regards to your needs, your direction, dealing with issues in your life. Let me show you what God says he wants you to do. Now let's start with your anger. Well, that's none of your business. I know it isn't, but we got to deal with it. Or the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your family or the fact that you don't pay your bills or pay your help or the fact that you're lazy and you're indifferent. You come when you want to and you make excuses. Let's deal with that. Oh, but I'm a good member of a church. I don't care what you are and how you do it, who you're sitting under. If your life is not an expression of the truth, and let me ask you a question. What is your life? So we start explaining. Listen, the message of faith is a course of life dictated by faith in God. If I don't know what that is, I can't live it. If I don't want to know what that means because I don't want to cloud up, I've got it all figured out the way I want it, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble because you have estimated yourself as being all right and you're okay. And just remember this. In the last days, the Bible said the time will come, Second Timothy 4, the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, let alone hear it. They will not endure it. Stay with it. Hold fast to it. But they will seek out somebody who says it the way they like to hear it. There'll be a lot of people there because it's a broader way. And they will find themselves parked in a situation which leads to death. There is a way that seems right. But the end of that way is death. And the reason you thought it was all right was because of the effect of a seducing spirit or a doctrine, a teaching that was inspired not of God but of the devil. You should be glad this morning that you have a Bible, that you can check out whatever you're hearing, whatever the preacher says. If they speak not according to this word, Isaiah said, they have no light. And you don't have to believe what you hear in a church. You don't have to hold to what the preacher said as being true. But if God says it, you have to. Because there's no other way. Would you agree to that? There is one way, one God, one faith, one way to go. That's God's. Men, like myself, can tell you what we believe it says. And you can't assume that what I say is right. You need to check it out yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be a man follower, a person follower, and not a follower of Jesus. We're warned about that all through the Bible, about following people and not checking out what people said. 
Remember Paul said the Bereans were more noble-minded than the other churches he went to because when they heard the word, they searched the scriptures to see if that was true. Wouldn't that be great if the whole church demanded truth from the preacher? I want the truth. Don't you play with my head. All right, I'll preach the truth. Now, I want you to search it out and make sure that was the truth. If it wasn't, you'd come and tell me. If you got a problem with that, then you go wrestle with God with it. Spend some time and let true revelation come into those webs and cobwebs and that resistance you've had. And let God open your eyes and see something right. And let him change you from being that kind of a hard-headed, difficult to pastor, a pastor's nightmare. Change you from one of those kind of people to somebody who was humble and meek and loving and kind and compassionate and good. Let him do that. Till we all become like Christ. Wouldn't that be good? We can't do that without the word. We can't. The only thing that'll ever make us free is the truth. And we don't want to tell the truth to some people. Well, you know, it's going to hurt their feelings. We can't say that because I know who that couple is this morning that came in. If I say that, I'm going to, listen, quit being God. You speak the truth in love with care and compassion, gentle, but say it. Because the only thing you're ever going to say that God is ever going to use to set his people free is truth. And if you're guilty of anything you're hearing, deal with it. Don't fight it. Deal with it. Because in the last days, I believe there is going to be a lot of consternation and difficulty and trouble. People fighting over all of these things and not wanting to line up. And why you say that? I don't like to hear that. Well... I may not like to say that either because I know you don't like to hear that. And I like you and you like me, but if I say that, you won't like me and I'll have a problem with you. All of that. So, what is the problem with the message of faith? Well, I'm going to give you four. Four points. This will be an easy sermon, okay? Four points about the difficulty that Christians and the church has with the message of faith. Now, I'm not talking about faith as defining a traditional church, you know, the Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. I'm talking about faith as a relationship with God, how we relate to God. And the problem that people have with that, number one is the problem that people have in the church with faith is that you have to fight to keep it because it is constantly under attack. It's constantly under attack. Remember the story of Paul in his missionary journey in this one place, I think it's Acts 13, he came to and he was going to speak to the sheriff of the island or the place that one of the leaders. And there was this demonic fellow who was trying to talk him out of the faith. Remember the one that Paul said, oh, thou, whatever this and whatever that. That's what the devil does, is try to talk you out of the faith. And when the devil's trying to talk you out of the faith, then we know this, that there's something about the faith that the devil fears. If he can keep the church from being faithful to God, and not believe in what God is saying, he can have a great influence in the church, because faith is no longer an issue. And look around today. 
There's not much talk about having faith in God, trusting God with all your heart and leaning not your own. Not many people even mention that anymore. It's seldom discussed, hardly talked about. And yet, I think the devil is a master deceiver, a master disguiser, one of those reprobate angels of light that comes in the church and misleads people and turns things around and just wants people to believe whatever they want to. And yet, if you want to keep your faith, you not only have to take heed what you're hearing. Would you agree with that? That Mark talks about, you have to take heed what you hear. Because not everything you're going to hear is going to bring you faith in God. Faith comes how? By hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I don't think that everybody preaches it like that or with that intention. If I preach the word to these people here this morning, if I say the truth, if I say what God says and I say it with sincerity and, and say it with meaning and God honors it, then the result will be faith to some degree in various people. A light will come on. A conviction will come. You'll begin to see an adjustment you need to make in your life. Some way you need to tighten up or get things together better. That you cannot just keep going and drifting along. You're going to have to tighten up and live right. Because it's so easy to quit. You can have faith in God. Didn't Jesus pray that, Peter, I have prayed for you that you're what? We don't like to think it could. Again, I go to church. I sing the hymns. I give money. I'm a, a member in good standing. I teach a Sunday school class. I'm on this committee, that committee. I'm on the church board. Huh? That doesn't mean you're faithful to God's word. Nobody challenges your goodness, your kindness, your sacrifice. But that's not what gets you to heaven. If being a good church member can get you to heaven, you don't need Jesus. You just need to be a good church member. Just do a lot of things. Satisfy yourself that I'm doing all I know how to do. Do you get mad when the preacher talks about issues that affect you? Do you wish he didn't say that? Wish you'd stayed home. I don't know why he has to say that. We need to get us a new preacher. See, you got some hidden problems in your life. The devil's covering you over, protecting you, because he's ruling your life. He's ruling you. Listen, when it's faith in God, living on God's terms, you come out of everything that holds you back. I can't have faith in God if I'm not willing to press forward. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 about fighting to keep the faith. Paul said... I have fought a good fight. What does that mean? Well, he didn't quit, did he? Look at all the things he went through. You read all the shipwreck and the persecution, the stonings of being whipped and beaten for the gospel. Jesus said he'll suffer great things, but he never quit. I don't think God calls people to walk with him who are quitters. But quitting is the easiest thing anybody does. Just back off. Give up. Redefine what you want to be redefined and be your own man. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. Be one of those kind of guys that nobody can pass. Nobody can pastor that person, him or her, or her or him. 
Boy, if there's not something that God does to the human heart that humbles it, that makes it pliable in the hands of God so that God can take a soul unworthy of salvation and saves it and then does with that soul whatever he wants to, puts him wherever he wants to, hurt him or her. If we can't be subdued like that and submit to God and become like that, then this message is not getting through. And we're not. The Word of God is not dictating how we live if that's not happening. So we keep preaching. We keep talking about it. We keep teaching on it. We keep saying it. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Tempted many times to give up and quit. I wonder if Jesus was tempted to give up. 40 days and 40 nights. Devil said, if you be the king, if you be who you say you are, throw yourself down from this temple. Turn these stones to bread. Or bow to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You think that was a, a temptation? Boy, if it gets you out of what you're going through, you can feel better and get your belly full. No. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he never, he never sinned. He never gave in to his feelings and his human nature. He always resisted anything that God did not honor. He resisted. And he said, I have fought. Paul said, there where you are, I have fought a good fight. What does he say after that? I kept the faith. Well, the whole fight was about what you believe. A man that doesn't believe much gives it up pretty easy. Backs off pretty easy. But when you believe something, when there's this compelling spiritual influence, though none go with me, still what? Still I will follow. I'm not giving up my salvation, my relationship with God, the peace that's starting to come, and all the joy that's awaiting. I'm not giving that up for anybody, not for her, not for you, not for them, money, faith, nothing. The only reason anybody could ever say that, I think, is because you've had your eyes open to see the worth of it all. Didn't Jesus say, if you love anybody or anything more than me, you're not worthy of me? Matthew 10 is what he said. You're not worthy. Lord, you mean to tell me that you're bringing us to you and you want to undo the whole part of us, just unzip us and expose us and then put us back in the right order so you can use us? Exactly. It's no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. As he is, so are we. For me to live is Christ. Wow. What a life. But he said, I kept the faith. I went through struggles more than all of you, more than everybody in this church put together. He said, I went through all of that just to preach to a room full of people sometimes that most of them walked off. But I was committed to God more than to people. People got in on the commitment because I gave it all I had. And he said, it was a victory that secured him in this world. But people being upset with the message of faith is simply because they have to fight. They have to fight to keep it. And we're warned. Peter wrote this. He said, think it not strange 
you boys, six of you, some more over here, think it not strange if it's in your heart to walk and serve the Lord, think it not strange concerning the opposition you're going to get because the devil doesn't want you to walk with the Lord. And he certainly doesn't want you to believe what you're hearing. Because when you believe what you're hearing, you'll do what Jesus did and the devil had to leave. It is written. It is written. It is written. And the devil knew that God, the hall of heaven, honored and watched over that word to perform it. And if in the midst of the crisis and the darkest night you say, it is written. It is written. That's all you can do. But that's the instruction to Scripture. Having done all what? Stand. And we're told we stand only by faith. And no one of the devil hates that and is afraid of that. He loses you. If you stay with it, he'll lose your family. He'll lose his influence in your life. Then he tries to get everybody to come down on you and criticize you and mock you and make fun of you. But that doesn't work anymore either. If they throw you in jail, you go to jail. Hallelujah. I'll get some people saved in jail. You can't defeat them. I'll put a disease on it. Disease doesn't stop you. You may not live as long as you wanted to if you didn't get healed. But that never means you give up your faith. Never. I don't care what you feel, what you think, what anybody has been through. You've got to keep the faith. Well, I didn't do so well. Nobody's always done well, but you can't quit. You get up and you keep going. And the devil said, yeah, well, you're a good one to talk about faith. Look what you did. I did. It was a mess up. I shouldn't have done it. I knew better. I knew better and I failed. And I bowed my head before the almighty God saying, I'm sorry, Lord, that I let you down. But I know you're still on my side. I can just tell by the influences in my life you're still with me. So I'm going to get back up on my feet. I'm going to reorient myself, regroup, and I'm going to grab this thing as hard as I can. I'm going to keep going. What else are you going to do? Quit? Just like people say, well, I don't think that healing message works. So what do you preach then? So what do you preach? Well, say this. Well, God could heal, but he, he might not. Therefore, he, you know, what he said he would do, he, he just might not do. So preach that. And then go to another church. Because that's not what God said. You've got to have more discernment than that. Well, that's not what God said. Well, what if everybody in here got sick and died? It doesn't change God, does it? We're messing up. God doesn't say the prayer of faith will heal the sick and then say, no, I'm not going to do it. He has committed himself to his word. He watches over his word to perform it. And if he said it, he'll do it. And it's never right for us to say, well, I know he's, he said he would. He said, yeah, but he might not. He didn't say that. That's a doctrine of a demon. That's human opinion. Man likes to think he is a little God. But it's a lie. If God said it, he'll do it. And if it's not working... Again, you might be having done all stand, but listen, folks, the devil wants to condemn every one of us. He wants to condemn me. You know, I fight it all the time. I know others of you have. You fight it all the time. But you've got to keep going. You have to rise and hold fast and keep going. Because secondly, the reason the church has a problem with faith message is because it brings persecution. 
You live by faith, you talk about faith, you discuss faith or define the faith from a pulpit. Just talk about it. Tell what it means, how it works, our obligations and so forth. And you get persecuted because it's so seldom ever heard. Nobody's ever heard much about that. You know, you take some stands. I used to think that this business of speaking in tongues was a, just a horrific persecution, but it had no comparison to Santa Claus. It didn't. It is ingrained, and I honor this. I mean, people are sincere. I'm not making fun of them. You know, people say Merry Christmas. I say thank you. I do. I say thank you and go on. I don't say it back because I don't believe in it. I know they believe in it, and I know they meant that well, so good. Thank you. But I do not believe in the Bible that it was ever a Christian holiday. I don't believe there were any Christian holidays. All those Old Testament days that people are still trying to practice, all those feast and festival days and use Hebrew words, all of that has been fulfilled and set aside as a way to be right with God. We learn from what they did, but we don't have to do that in order to be right with God. I call him Jesus, not Yeshua. If you said Yeshua and he had a vision, he said, who, who, you run who off? Well, you got the rest of that, all right. I just call him Jesus. I just happen to be a Gentile, a white Gentile, Kentucky white Gentile. That's what I am. And if the Bible says his name is Jesus, and it, to me his name is Jesus. Somebody else may call him this or that. That's the language they understand. That's the way they relate to God. But persecution when you begin to tamper with sacred cows in the community, like Christmas, people really think you're strange. Somebody once said to me, I heard you all don't believe in Christmas. Now, what he meant was, I heard that you don't practice I believe in it because I can't help but see it. I mean, I believe it's out there. I just don't adhere to it. I don't have to. If I get persecuted for that, that's for righteousness sake as far as I'm concerned. I said, no, no, I don't. I don't have a tree in my attic and, and go up there at night and open presents with Bonnie. <laughs> we don't have <laughs> chestnuts roasting on, you know, none of that. Oh, but it's the happiest time of year, is it? Go to a mall. <laughs> go to a mall. Watch them on opening their presents on morning saying, I got another one of these things. Yeah, it's a happy time of year. Go the day after Christmas when they try and take all that stuff back and see how happy they were. <laughs> Nothing happy about it. He said, you don't do Christmas? I thought you were a Christian. I said, well, I am. I mean, I really am. But you don't do uh, Christmas? No. Well, why? Because it's not in the Bible. Well, how would he know that? See, it's assumption. The church assumes that whatever the church does is there. But there is no such thing in the Bible as a St. Patrick's Day, a Halloween Day, or a Christmas Day. It's just not, the, it's just not in there. And when the church has a Halloween party and you think, that is a, that is a depth, well, of ignorance. Now, why would you say that? Because you're honoring the devil. Halloween is all about the devil and fear and ghosts and goblins and haunting things. And fear, you know, you put this stuff out because, you know, oh, don't let the demons come in my house. Here's a, here's a jack-o'-lantern staring at you. Know. 
Who started all of that? Where did all of that come from? Well, it didn't come from the Bible, did it? It was never mentioned in Scripture. The birth of Jesus was just an event. The communion says we celebrate his death, not his birth. I mean, the only time that people in the Bible gave gifts to each other in Revelation 11 when the two prophets were slain in the streets and the world was so happy that this voice of God was subdued that they began to give presents to each other. Huh. Well, I don't want to do that either. So you take a stand. This is what I believe. This is what I believe as a conviction that I must live by and walk through and so forth. I could say the same thing about whether it's, it's borrowing or the marriage vows, how sacred they are, that or anything else. Taking oaths, and people just don't want to hear you talk about it. See, things you don't like to hear, these things I just mentioned, when you don't want to hear those things, you develop opinions about those things. And somehow that opinion becomes scriptural. And you say, well, here's how I see that. I don't believe God would ever expect me to live in such a way of, you know, if she ran off and left me or he ran off and left me. I don't think it, I don't think, God, well, that's your opinion. But what does the Bible say? What does it say? And, you know, again, you thought Santa Claus is a problem. Whew, where do you get on the divorce and remarriage? That's a blank to most everybody. And to teach on it is to set yourself up, trust me with this, to set yourself up for persecution. I've got mail and letters, and, and most of the people that want to have a comment about it don't know much about it. But you don't have to to have an opinion. To make a religion out of your opinion, you don't have to. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's just terrible. Well, that's called vain jangling as far as I'm concerned. If you can't back it up with the word, you don't have anything to say. It's nothing there. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom. In other words, if you do what's right, you're going to be persecuted. Somebody's not going to like you doing right because you're doing right reminds them of what they're doing wrong. Peter wrote, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And in good old America, where everybody wants to be famous and great, we don't want to be persecuted by anybody. How could your kid ever be the cheerleader or the senior prom, what's the king? Who walks across the floor with a pretty girl? Okay. Well, he's not going to get anything like that if he believes certain things that they don't like him to believe. We parents are so concerned that our children might be left out. Well, the truth is, I'd hate for one of them to get left out of the kingdom of God because I misled them. I really would. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever speak of us being a popular bunch of people. Would you turn to Hebrews 10, verse 32 through 39. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated or enlightened, you saw the light, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Now he tells you what caused them. Partly while you were made a gazing stock or you were made a spectacle, uh, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of others that were being persecuted. 
you're one of them. For you had compassion to me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring self. Boy, if somebody tried to take our stuff today, we're going to court because that's the way we're changed. That's one of these shifting patterns. Well, I don't care what the Bible says here, but they're not going to take my stuff. Well, he said, here, they took it, and you let them do it joyfully. Now, when they turn the other cheek, they want your this, you give them that also. Whoa. Well, it's in there. Verse 35, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Don't give up, for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Isn't that something? You better hang on. You got to endure. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, what does God say? My soul shall have no pleasure in him. And the writer says, we're not of those who draw back into perdition, but of those who believe to what? Boy, that's important. How important is it? We are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Or in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, we will receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Third reason. A third reason that the church has a problem with the message of faith is that there's no other source for faith but God. It's not a new movement and somebody's new revelation or somebody's dream or vision. It's not what seems good. It's not some new nifty interpretation. It's the word of God. Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. For us as Christians, the word of God is final authority about your lifestyle, your conversation, your conduct, things you're doing, things you're not doing. The Bible is final authority. Don't add anything to it. Don't modify it, water it down. Don't turn from the left or turn to the right. Just say the word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's the final authority. But I rest my case on the word of God. I have no other source to believe, no other reason to believe God but the word of God. You know, the Mormons have three books. We have one. They add our book to their other two books, but there's only one right book, and that's the Bible. And the only reason they reject all of it because they say it's flawed. There are mistakes in it. So I guess Moroni didn't have any mistakes in the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price, that little book. No, sir, the Bible is to me, and I cannot prove it. I cannot verify it with facts historically. All I can do is say I believe that this book is true. And I'm willing to go through the rest of my life, forfeit all this world's opportunities and, and things that are wrong, give all of that up, counting on this word to be true. Because if it's not, well, a high school principal asked me that once. He said, preacher, what are you going to do if all this stuff isn't true? Now, I've been around people like him all the time. He didn't know that. <clears throat> what am I going to do? I said, well, I tell you what, 
I'm enjoying my life more than I ever did before. And I did a lot of crazy things before, but I'm enjoying life now. I found peace and joy, and I know what's right and what I believe is right. I'm just counting on God. I said, what are you going to do if it is right? He said, that's a gut buster. It's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's a soul buster. Because somewhere the information you've got in your mind tells you that you don't have to believe all that. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to do anything. Somebody said that to him, and that fit the way he wanted it to be. So he drew back, satisfying himself that, you know, there probably isn't a God, and if there isn't, you know, if there's a heaven or anything, I know I'm too good to go to hell, but I, you know, I, whatever. That's the problem in the last days. Somebody's allowing us to think any way we want to. That's where I started this morning. And when you start preaching faith, that's the only right way and the only source for this faith comes from God. That's the only source. And it doesn't come from man. No prophecy came to us by private interpretation, Peter says, but holy men of God wrote in the old days as they were inspired by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. You can't prove that. You can read that. As far as you know, that's true, but you can't prove it's true because somebody said this has been copied so much and so much has been added to it that all of it's not the Word of God. And liberal churches say, well, the Bible contains the Word of God. It's in there, but not all of it is. And the problem with that is how do we know that what we're believing is the Word of God? They already admit they're smart enough not to know which is and which isn't. And finally... As much as anything else as a reason the church has a problem with the faith message is that its message is uncompromising. It's non-compromising. You don't add anything to it. You can't substitute something else for something God said. There is no room in there for alternatives. There is nothing else that's okay, no substitute, no excuses. If this is the way walkie in it, and there's nothing you can add to it to make it better, and there's no way to enhance it, it's just what it says it is. And if God says you're healed, you're healed. It's not God and pills, it's God. And if he said it, anything like that, I mean, if that's there, if there's, that's implied, that's, it's just a non-compromising message. Why should that be so fearful for us to want to walk that way? Why would that be such a challenge? We don't want to be persecuted. We want people to like us. We'd like to think that, you know, I can have my own view and opinion of things, and because I am sincere, God will honor that. You just said there's no compromises, that there's no other source but God. What am I left to? Just the Word of God. That book is life. That's your life. The only thing God has promised you that he will watch over to do for you is what's in that book. And all you can do is believe what this book said. One of the most provoking passages, one of them, there's several for me, but one of the most provoking sections and passages of Scripture in all the Bibles in James 1. You don't have to turn to it. You know it. If any man lack wisdom, 
something that everybody ought to seek from God. Wisdom is so vital. Wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, how do I do this, Lord? How is this supposed to work? How am I supposed to see this? You need some wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and he doesn't upbraid you for it. But, remember this, let him ask in faith. Faith is taking God at his word, counting on God to do what he said. Let him ask in faith without wavering. You know, if a man wavers, he's like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. This is the consequence. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. That to me is, you got to sit down. If you're somewhere and you're thinking about that, you think, boy, I need to make a true examination of my life. I'm singing the right songs. I have a Bible. I'm reading it. I'm going to church. I'm trying. But nothing can replace faith. There's no alternative for just faith in God. Not hearing about it. Anybody can hear it, but you've got to be a, a doer and not just a hearer only. Oh, God, yes. It will cost you everything before it's over. But this is what he wants. He said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. By anything, uh, Lord, come here. Just say, but you don't mean by anything. You don't, you, 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 you're, uh, you, you, I don't go stutter now. I wasn't, I was doing that. You mean to tell me, Lord, that I have to trust you with all my heart? Is that true? Does that make me quiet? Oh, I think so. Because it has eternal consequences. If you lack anything, especially wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith. There's three needs every man has. Can I have 30 seconds to preach another sermon? Say, okay, Brother Tom. Three needs in every Christian's life is one, seek wisdom from God. He needs that. Secondly, he needs to seek favor from God. He needs that. And thirdly, he needs to appreciate God. Boy, it's a message. You preachers, I just gave you a free message. He needs to learn to appreciate God and honor the Lord and praise the Lord and in sincerity Walk with him, being humble and gracious in your life. Your appreciation for what he's done, for what he's given you, for the testimony that he spared you and kept you. With a bowed head, you want to humble yourself before God. I thank you, Jesus. You add wisdom and grace to that, you're going to be a super saint. Amen. But in closing, he said, let him ask of faith without doubting, because if he doubts, he won't receive anything from the Lord. You know, folks, we didn't grow up in the Christian life. We didn't grow up knowing any of this. We didn't naturally know these things. Somebody has to teach us. Isn't that true? I didn't know it. Somebody taught me. The person who taught me didn't care if I liked it or not, didn't court my favor, didn't water it down or make it fluffy. It was just the way it was, and it landed hard. 
God is gracious. And what he gave to me in my life was a willingness to take the hit, believe what he said, and go on. And not give up and say, well, that's too hard. I don't want to hear that no more. None of that. Heaven isn't full of people like that. You're in here to be undone. For God to crucify your flesh. To clean you out of all the old man, his trash. Everything that's in opposition to God. Every evil thing in your life. He wants to clean it out. And he wants to fill you with himself. And send you out that door where all he has to do is whisper a word. Speak a word. You're ready to go. You don't care who likes you. You're not trying to be disliked. But if what you're doing for God brings persecution, I'll, I'll pay the price. If you go to jail, I'll pay the price. If you're murdered or you're killed. He told that church in the book of Revelation, he says, he's going to put some of you to death in just 10 days. Endure to the end. You mean they're going to die, Lord? Yeah. But death is only a moment where they start and then you're passed from death to life. So you didn't feel the hatchet, the knife, or the shock, or the gun, or whatever. You just went from life to life. Somehow or another, you're being changed. The devil can't rule you anymore. He's delivered you from all your fears. Nothing that comes up, but you can't say, well, God will take care of that. I know I've got a word for that. I'm going to claim that promise in Jesus' name. Healing? Oh, I know, Lord, this is, this is under the blood. I'm not under the curse, so therefore I'm going to claim my healing. And I'll do everything I know how to do. And having done all of that, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to stand. God knows how much I can take, and I'm counting on him for that too. It's a message of faith. A course of life dictated by God. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, with grateful hearts, this morning, we thank you for loving us, caring about us, teaching us, leading us. Everything that's making the hope of heaven more real. Thank you. Now we ask you to bless our children, our youngsters who are growing up in a vile and nasty world. That you would close their eyes to filth. Give them a heart to turn away from things that are vile. Heavenly Father, we want to keep all of our children. We want them to be with us here. We want them to come because they want to. We want you to bless them and their new families. And deliver us and deliver them. And supply every need and, and get every bill paid, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now we ask that the Spirit of God would continue to Speak to us, flood our hearts and minds with thoughts, truth. Make us to know who you are, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.